I'm Eric from the beautiful southern state of Alabama. And I'm Jerry in the winter wonderland of Boston, and it's another Sunday podcast. Hello, Eric. Hello, Jerry. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing good. You are in the beautiful state of Alabama, and I am in a winter wonderland. As we record this episode, it is snowing outside my window. How much snow do y'all have up there right now? Uh, Right now, it is just a dusting, and I think it's going to turn over to rain. We did have a storm that dropped about 14, 15 inches of snow in parts of the area back in December. And then on Christmas and again on New Year's, we had this torrential rain and 50, 60 degree weather. So for the most part, the snow is gone around here unless you go to a parking lot or something where they plowed these these huge mountains. But so there's really no, no, no snow. As I look out the window here, it is... Uh, just a dusting. It's about 30, 38 degrees right now here. It's 43 here in Alabama right now. Well, that's not so too... We're pretty close, yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty close indeed. All the, all the storm stuff starts with you and comes up our way. Yep. Stop sending them. <laughs> I'm not a fan. So we are, uh, we are almost out of January... As this episode airs and about to hit the shortest month of the year, February, which is kind of my favorite month because it means that we're about a month away from spring, which is one of my favorite seasons. So looking forward to, to that. It's been been a fairly quick month. What's been going on in your life? Right now, just taking a break. Uh, when this thing airs, I will be very, very deep in schoolwork and struggling to make deadlines. So, <laughs> well, the master's program is quite a intense program. It is. Well, you know, they kind of design it. Um, there's a lot. There's night classes and things like that for people who have to work, and so it's kind of designed to be able to work and go to school. But the workload is incredible, and um, a woman who goes to my church, she know she went through the same program that I'm going through now, and I told her, I'm like, I don't know how you did it, because she's a, a a wife and a mother and had a part time job on the side and everything. And I'm like, I, I don't know how you did this program with all the other responsibilities. You know, it's a lot of work. I can only imagine. I have friends who've gone through master's program for various. Uh in various fields, and teaching is one of those uh, extremely intense courses. So, uh, mucho respect to you for doing that and working and doing this. What is it that we wanted to share with our listeners uh, this episode? We were talking about concerts and the concerts we've been to, what they were like, things that we had wished we had seen, things we have seen. Do you have a favorite live show that you've ever seen? Actually, yes. Probably the the 
most awesome live show that I've ever seen, just just off the top of my head, would be a band called For King and Country. And uh, a lot of people out there, I'm sure, will know them. They're very popular. But they're a Christian band. Um, and I, I'm not really big into the modern Christian music. Um, but a buddy of mine took me to go see them here in a church in Birmingham. And that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. I mean, it wasn't a very big church, but they put on an awesome show with lights and everything. I remember one, in one part of the show and they, they all like the, the lead singer, he wore these, this, um, like a tuxedo coat with these long tails. He had these two crash cymbals and it's it's a very drum centered band. They do like a bunch of drum and percussion stuff. I think they're all drummers. I think um, most of them. But but they just did this huge thing where they were just you know it was reaching like the climax of the show. And he they had the lights were off and the strobes were on behind this guy, and he had two crash cymbals in his hands and. Every time it came around, like, you know, every eight beats or whatever, he would just, you know, those crash cymbals. And uh, and you could you could only catch him. He was dancing around the stage and jumping off of stuff. And because the strobes were going, he would be over here one minute and over there the next. And it, it was it was a great show. It was an awesome show. It's probably the best show I've ever seen. Small venue type thing or? Yeah, I was in a little church uh, right outside of Birmingham, and uh, I mean, I, I say a little church. It wasn't, I mean, it was a fairly big place, but it wasn't like gigantic, you know. Right. And, uh, but, and you could feel like, especially with all the, the drums going and everything, you could feel the bu- the building shake, you know, with all the drums going and everything. Of course, I'm a drummer, so that kind of <laughs> turned me on a little bit, you know. <laughs> Well, I know when we saw Springsteen, you never took your eyes off Max Weinberg. Oh yeah, well, and that that that's what I do when I watch music. I cannot help but just like there could be a million other things going on on stage, but my eyes always focus on the drummer and what he's doing. So, what about you? What are some shows that you've seen, especially back in the day? I know you've you had the uh, cream of the crop back then. Concerts back in the day. Uh, not not much different than they are today, uh, with the exception of the price, for the most part. Uh, I used to see, in fact, the very first concert I ever went to was Bruce Springsteen, surprising <laughs> to those who know me. And it was it cost $9 to see Bruce live in 1980 at the Boston, the old Boston Garden. $9. Now, here we are, 40 years later, and he still charges. It's it's about a hundred bucks, maybe a little bit less. So he's he hasn't gone up a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> but I saw some really great shows with some really great bands on the same bill. You saw bands like Blue Oyster Cult and um, Black Sabbath toured together on the Black and Blue tour back in the eighties. That was a great show. Elton John and Billy Joel on the same bill, playing together and separately. That's awesome. You know, all of these and some of the main, the big, the bigger venues, 
like Boston Garden or Madison Square Garden, you could take a take a train ride down to New York City and catch a show. It's hard to determine which one of all of the concerts. And when I was younger, that's all I did was go to concerts. There was a concert a week at the Boston Garden, Foreigner or Journey, Cheap Trick, just the, the Kinks, Boston bands like Boston and the Cars, just to name, you know, a few. I lived at Boston Garden. I did see some really, really good shows. It's kind of hard to put my finger on the favorite. The one that always comes to mind was in a smaller venue, the Orpheum Theater in Boston, and it was Peter Gabriel on Shock the Monkey Tour was one of the ones that sticks out. Now, I've seen Bruce Springsteen 121 times since 1980, and I have never seen a bad Bruce Springsteen show. He goes out and he plays forever. There was something about the Peter Gabriel show in the small venue that just sticks out in my mind. He, 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 came, he came in from the back of the theater down the aisle playing, banging on, the, on, a, on a simple uh, snare drum with his entire band behind him and then up, onto, up on the stage. And I also saw a band called The Jam. And this was the same place, the Orpheum Theater, the craziest concert, one of the craziest concerts I ever went to. So the Orpheum Theater might have been a three or 4,000 seat hall, old relic of a, of, a, of a place where probably even back in the day was an opera house kind of a place. It wasn't all rock and roll. They probably did musicals and stage plays and classical shows. And they had the balconies and they had the little private suites on the side, you know, overlooking the stage. I'll never forget the jam coming on stage and opening with um, whatever song that they opened with. Town Called Malice was their hit. They may have opened with that song. But I was probably 10 or 12, 15 rows from the stage. And people rushed the stage when the curtains opened. This was, again, a theater. Curtains open. There's the band. People rushed the stage, <laughs> jumping over chairs, literally jumping out of the balcony onto the floor to rush the stage. Probably the loudest concert I ever uh, ever heard in my life. My ears were ringing when I left that show. That one sticks out as one of the, the great shows. There were just there were just so many. I was so lucky to be able to uh, to be able to go, you know, into <clears throat> into Boston. It wasn't a whole big journey in public transportation when I wasn't driving or or, or didn't want to drive uh, to go in and see some of these shows. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, and that's the thing, you know. Well, I know like Phil's dad. Um, he talks about growing up and this was in the late seventies. Uh, he was a teenager. He got to see Kansas. I think the whole show was like 15 bucks or something like that. And it was the left overture tour where they had carry on my wayward son and oh, the wall right. and right. Magnum opus and all that stuff. I mean, but, and that's something that, you know, my generation, we grew up on that music cause that was our parents' music, but we never got to see them in their heyday 
And that's something that y'all older guys or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm super jealous. <laughs> it was, it certainly was. Music is different today. And we talked about this with Debbie Catalano on the recent episode. I find all sorts of great stuff on YouTube and Spotify and various other streaming services that I, somebody will recommend to me or I'll see recommend to go, you know, and I'll get, get into, into that music. But though, you know, you, I look back and say, those were some wonderful, wonderful days. And some uh, and and some great times, and uh, you know, I've seen Springsteen. I think I said 121 times, and not all of that was in Boston. I've been all over the, I should say, all over the country and Canada. So I'm kind of a crazy fan. Wait. Never, never, never hung around to meet him. wasn't a groupie. Yeah. Bought a ticket, went to the show, liked the show, but went home. You said how many times? 121. <laughs> You mean you've literally kept count 121 Springsteen shows? I have literally kept count, yes. Wow. <laughs> I wish I had all of the ticket stubs. I don't. I probably have close to 100 of them somewhere uh, put away. And um, I never bought a T-shirt. Uh, I don't think I've even bought a hat or a poster or anything. It's strictly show ticket. And when I started to realize that I was going to see him quite a bit, I started hanging on to the stubs. But 121 times. And I know that because there's a book that got published called Glory Days. And in the in the index part of the book, there's a list of up to that publishing of that book of all of the tour dates that he ever did. And I was able to identify every single show that I, that I have, wow. uh, that I have <laughs> been to though. So when, when I added all those up and then I know 121 with the last one being the four hour and five minute marathon in Gillette stadium in Foxborough, Mass, home of the New England Patriots. Yeah, I, I know that was one of the things that impressed me at the Springsteen show that you took me and Phil to. I mean, I'm not a big Springsteen fan. I, I like some of his songs. Some of his songs I love. The thing that really struck me was just the, I mean, it was like manly rock and roll, you know, and the, the, I think I've told you this before, but the, the cool part about, uh, Max Weinberg coming out and he's like, you know, all dressed to the nines. He's in his, you know, pinstripe pants, dress pants and his, his, uh, you know, nice shirt with the cufflinks and the, and the vest with the pinstripe on there, you know, whatever. And yet he doesn't take a break. There's no breaks for, for Max for four hours. And by the end of it, he has sweated all the way through that shirt and he's pouring sweat. It's like dripping off his nose and he's like an animal up there just going at it. <laughs> and, you know, there was something about that that was just super cool. And and I really thought that that was, I mean, there's there's like, you know, uh, the music is good. But in the, the presentation of the music is is a lot of times, I hate to say just as important because it's not just as important, but it's up there. You know, the way you present yourself on stage and the kind of personality and, and vibe you give off is important, I think, for musicians and everything. And that was that was cool. That was like, I, I'm know, sure I'm good. sure I'm sure in the 40 plus years that he has been performing live shows, he's mailed it in. I have never seen in 121 shows him mail in a show. And and every show is different. He has a standard uh, set list, but there are certain portions of every set list in every show where he plugs in a different song. Uh, the last couple of tours he was taking requests, people would actually be bringing in handwritten signs. They'd hold them up. He would then choose ones and play song that he hasn't played 
that belonged to him in years or play something like Elvis's burning, uh, burning love or something. And, uh, he just pulls these things out of a hat and the band is, is right there. It's incredible. Of course, they've been doing it for all of their lives. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's an, it's incredible what, what he can do. I, we could do a whole show on Springsteen. So we won't, oh, yeah. uh, we won't bore, won't bore the audience well, with, with all of that. Well, I do want to ask you, like, because <clears throat> I've wondered this, like, what is the pool? I mean, like, I have these bands that I just come back to. I'm a huge fan of. What is the pool for you for Springsteen? Why have you gone to see 121 of his concerts? What What is it that makes you a a, a very deep, long-term fan of his? Deep mental issues. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's a lot about the show than it is about the music. I'll give you an example. The band The Cars in again in the in the eighties, and I forget which tour it was, but they came out on stage and they played whatever album they were touring, they played it essentially top to bottom with no variation of anything. If I had closed my eyes, it would be like I had a record on and I was just listening. There was no light show to speak of. There was hardly an encore. Somebody like Springsteen comes out. Bruce, Bruce comes out with so much energy. It's almost as if they wind him up with this, this big key, and then they just let him go. And now in his early days, when he was in his 30s and, and, and even in his 40s, when I used to go see him in the earlier days, this guy would go from the stage to the piano in one leap. He could do a split on stage with a guitar. He would run around crazy, jumping in the audience. So he doesn't have that kind of energy, but he's got way more energy than I have today, and I'm I'm a lot younger than he is. So the last time I saw him on the last tour, he might not have been bouncing around from the stage to the to the piano. But he gets the crowd involved. When you can stand at a microphone at center stage and just simply wave your hand left and right and get 80,000 people to do that, that's some power. It is, yeah. And that's sort of the the attraction. When you go to see Bruce Springsteen, you're not going to just listen to his music. You're going to see the whole production, the show. And and, and the music is just incredible also, uh, I think. And uh, so that, of course, adds to it. But he, he just has this, this attraction to people. He plays with everybody. I mean, I've seen him. I, I saw Bob Dylan pop up on stage with him in New York City one time. Uh, he toured with oh many people. Gary U.S. Bonds jumped on stage in New Jersey. Tom Morello actually toured with him for a short amount of time on, uh, I think it was a Ghost and Tom Joad tour, and then maybe even a tour after that. He has an incredible show to, to go see. And anybody who has not seen a Bruce Springsteen concert, go see Bruce Springsteen. Because you will not find anybody else like him, in my opinion. You know, and who knows how many more years this band has in them. They're all in their 60s and close to 70. Well, and the saxophone player uh, died a few years ago, I think. Two of the original band members have passed on. Uh, Danny Federici was the keyboardist. He was in the original band, uh, even going back before the E Street Band, one of Bruce's early bands. And Clarence Clemens... The big man, incredible. Now, uh, Charlie Giordano is the keyboardist, and Jake Clemens, who is Clarence's nephew, is the new 
saxophonist. And it's just incredible. When I first saw them, there was there were five guys in the band. There was Bruce, Clarence, Danny, Max, and uh, I'm sorry, six, and uh, Steve Enzant and uh, Gary Talent on bass. I've seen as many as 18 band members. He toured with the Miami Horns, and he's toured with fiddle players and a whole, you know, a, a complete horn sections and things. When you go to a Springsteen concert, you are not going just to music. You are going for an experience, and others have 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 called it a religious a religious experience, <laughs> uh, because you just come out of there incredibly drained and incredibly satisfied. Uh, and again, 121 shows. I've never seen a bad show. I've seen shows that have gone four hours. I've seen shows that you know were, were two and a half or three hours. It didn't it didn't matter. Uh, it's it's just it's just incredible, and I've gone on forever on 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 Springsteen. Like I said, I could do a whole show on this guy. So you said that the show is almost more important for you than the music, but you also said that the music is incredible, the Springsteen's music. And so, what is it about Springsteen's music that keeps you, you know, a long term diehard fan of his? Yeah, you know, great question. I it not just Springsteen. This goes true for any musician band that I am a fan of, including the Phil Dudley band. And this is one thing I think I've told you. I know I've told this to Phil. I'm looking I want to be entertained, but I'll tell me a story. If in in, in, in Springsteen's songs, it doesn't have to be all autobiographical. Like Billy Joel talks a lot about his life. Springsteen does kind of the same thing where some of his songs may be fictional, but it's telling a story. And when he released his autobiography and he talked in the book about where the song came from or how he wrote the song, he started to put the pieces together and go, oh, that's what that means. You know, you started to to see the whole picture. But if an artist is out there telling me a story that I can believe, then I'm going to probably become a fan. And there's a lot of bands that are up and up and coming that do that. And those are the those are the types of that's what I guess that's the attraction for me. The music as well. I mean, I'm sure every song from every band somewhat tells a story. Somebody like Springsteen or Billy Joel or even Phil Dudley band, your band, tells a story about something. So that I'm listening being told a story. And like and, and in some cases, you're part of the story. And that's the I think that's the attraction for me with, with almost any of the artists that I like uh, and that I follow. Yeah, well, and same for me. I think, especially with the '70s, I'm 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 like you. I love the music that tells a story. And there was uh, in the '70s, people were searching for something, and you find that in the music, and it connects and resonates with people on so many levels. And I think it is the story part of it that does that. When you when you can express something that's in yourself something you've experienced or something that you are experiencing or some some fact of existence and it's honest and it's real i think other people can appreciate that and connect to that and it, and they take that song into themselves and apply it you know it, it resonates in them and they I, they they sit there and they go i feel that way you know or i've experienced something similar to that and it captures their heart and I think that's really what music is, it sh and it should be, you know, this very personal thing. And I think about the some of the greatest songs of all time, and they do that. You know, they're very uh, relatable and beautiful and just 
they capture this moment in time or this story. And, and I think it goes. I think it goes back even earlier than the seventies, going to the sixties, when you had bands that did their protest songs. Um, or they were telling a different story. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Peter, yeah. Paul, and Mary. Yeah, uh, their songs were telling stories too. A little bit different. They may have been opposed to the war or some other government thing that they were that they were singing about that they didn't like, but they were still telling. A story, and then in the seventies, I think you're right. I think there was there was the searching for something, and and again, we we still had those. You know, we still had the war going on in the seventies, right? Uh, so yeah, I I I I think you're right. And right up until about seventy nine, I think when things started to get a little disco-y, yeah, um, <laughs> that that kind of stopped. Yeah, and I well, I always think of late sixties the 70s and early 80s as the golden period of music for the 20th century. I mean, there was good stuff that happened back in the 40s and the 50s and the 30s. There was good stuff that happened in the 80s and 90s. I mean, there was good stuff that happened in the 20s and the and the ten, 10s and the teens. But for me, late 60s, 70s, early 80s is the golden period of music. Absolutely. We could go on for hours and talk about music. And and I don't know, maybe that's where this podcast is going to go. We're going to find a niche. We've had, <laughs> we've had uh, a couple of guests on now, a few episodes of surrounding music. Here's another one. I don't know, maybe that's where the, maybe that's our niche. Uh, well, music brought us together, so. That's true. That's absolutely true. So before we wrap it up here, just want to uh, thank the people who are, uh, are listening and uh, from all over the world, actually, as we're, seem to be growing the listener base. We appreciate you putting up with us and, and tuning in and, and, and leaving us with uh, with all of your comments, suggestions. Eric, why don't you give everyone our, uh, our email address if they want to uh, get in touch with us? Yeah. So you can reach us at it's another Sunday podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us individually if you happen to know who we are. All right. Well, I think it's about time to close this episode for another week. Final word to you, my friend. So we've been through one crazy year, and whatever this year brings, let's just roll with the changes. It's Another Sunday Podcast is produced by Eric and Jerry. Music composed and performed by Tom Blaze. Check out Tom Blaze's YouTube channel at Tom Blaze. Technical advisor, Tom Billadou. That's it for another episode of It's Another Sunday Podcast. Thanks for listening.